Let's look in John chapter 12. John chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. Read down to verse 28. John chapter 12. I want to remind you also this Saturday we'll be going out soul winning at 930. Uh, passing out uh, invitations, inviting people to church, sharing the gospel with them. And so meet here at 930 and we'll give you an area that you can go in and uh, do some soul winning uh, this Saturday. We would see Jesus, John chapter 12 and verse 12. And on the next day, much people uh, that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass they, and sat thereon, as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. Uh, these things understood not his disciples at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they uh, that the things uh, were uh, written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him up from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye how he prevailed, uh, ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. And there were certain Greeks among them uh, that came up to the worship at the feast. The same came before uh, to Philip, therefore to Philip, uh, which was of the city of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I in uh, unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together this Palm Sunday. Uh, we are thankful, Lord, that uh, Jesus Christ came into this world and, and uh, Lord offered himself as that perfect sacrifice that we might be saved. Uh, it distresses our heart, Lord, when we read of the accounts and the events that took place of the brutality and the, the, the horrible relationship uh, that was uh, demonstrated in the suffering of Christ and the crucifixion of Christ. But God, we're thankful that what it worked for us righteousness, it worked for us redemption, it worked for us a means of being reconciled unto God. And Lord, because of that, we're thankful, Lord. And we are excited about rejoicing in the resurrection of Christ. 
He suffered all these things, but it did not defeat him. It did not destroy him, but rather he had great victory over the sin that was in the world, the devil that's in the world, uh, the unbelief that is in the world. Christ defeated it all when he died and was buried and he rose again. And so, Lord, I pray you speak to our hearts this morning as we consider uh, these individuals who came and desired to see Christ. Why we understand how powerful that is when we come in contact with and be, are able to meet with a living Savior. So bless the preaching of the Word of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verse is verse 21. It says, And there came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And the world may fight against uh, what we believe and the world may despise the reality of what's required to go to heaven. But the answer to man's problems is they need to see Christ. Uh, they need to come in contact with Christ. We know this passage in chapter 12 records for us what we identify as Palm Sunday or the time of the great triumph of Christ coming into Jerusalem He's coming in as fulfillment of the prophecy of that the Messiah of Israel would come riding on the back of a donkey and that he would literally offer himself as the sacrifice for mankind and be able to deliver us from all of our sins. And it's a triumph. It's an exciting time as he's coming in, the rejoicing and the excitement that surrounds him. But very quickly, that crowd turns against Christ and will bring accusations against him and he'll be beaten and battered and bruised and he'll be crucified and be offered as a sacrifice for our sins. But as he comes in, notice first of all, the praise that is going on as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Uh, the praise in verse 12 and 13 we see was praise that first of all was focused on Christ. This is only next day much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And uh, oftentimes I think we forget that if people will respond to Christ. They're coming to see Christ. And uh, the desire that ought to be upon our hearts is that we might be able to present to a world that is lost that there is a Savior and His name is Jesus. He does miraculous things in people's lives, not just saving us, but He does miraculous things and when people heard that Jesus was coming, uh, they were flocking to Jerusalem to see this Jesus of Nazareth. And so the focus was on Jesus Christ. All of our praise is focused on Christ. It's not focused on man. It's not focused on talent. It's not focused on uh, buildings or programs. It's focused on Christ and Christ alone. When Jesus is removed from the praise, you no longer have praise. Uh, you just have an emotional experience, uh, whatever it may be. But the focus on this Palm Sunday was Jesus. They had heard that uh, Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. We see the desire was that they might experience salvation. In verse 13, they took branches, it says, and palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna. And as Jesus is coming in, they're crying out Hosanna, and Hosanna is a Hebrew phrase that means save we pray. People are crying out, save we pray. 
And uh, as Jesus is coming in, they heard of all that he had done. And they're coming to him desiring that he might show them the way of salvation. You know, people need to cry out for the salvation of God. And uh, we need to point people to Christ so that they might know that the only means of salvation is through Jesus Christ. And that is it. If we do not be honest with people, we do not present the premise that the only means of being saved is trusting Christ as our Savior, they do not know where to turn to or how to cry out to experience the salvation of God. And so here they are, uh, they're focusing on Christ because their desire was the salvation of the Lord. And so the praise was for a king. Notice in verse 13, it says, Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Israel is constantly looking for that king that would come, the fulfillment of the prophecies, the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament, that there would be one that would reign on the throne of David. And as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, uh, that is the, encomp the encompassing focus and desire on their heart was not just salvation, but they were rejoicing because here is their king coming, even though they're going to reject their king. And so their longing was to praise God for a king that would rule. So we see in the passage of Jesus coming in, praise that is being offered up. We see prophecy in this chapter also, because in verse 14 it says, And Jesus, when he had found a young ass and sat thereon, it was writ as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. And so prophecy uh, that is going to be fulfilled because of Christ coming in on Palm Sunday. That prophecy is found in Zechariah in uh, chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. And you can go in your Old Testament, go to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and turn left, and you can get right to it real quick there. But Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon the colt of the foal, of an ass, and so here is the prophecy. First of all, the pro him coming in riding on the back of a donkey was confirmation of his rule. Jesus Christ is the King of Kings, and He is the Lord of Lords, and He demonstrated that when He came riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and they're rejoicing because of the fact that uh, here is uh, the prophecy being fulfilled in front of their eyes as Christ would come riding on the back of a donkey, so the confirmation of his rule, uh, of his dominion, there shall be no end. He is the one who rules and reigns. He's on the throne of heaven today. People think that, well, wait a minute, things are just kind of happening out of control. No, God is always in control of all things, working his perfect will. When Jesus came in to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, it was in line with what God had promised and in line with God's control over all things. Jesus coming into Jerusalem was not presenting himself as one who is out of control. He was ruling and reigning of all the events that took place on that day and that week 
when he offered himself up for, on, on the cross. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down and take it up again of my own self. And so literally he is con confirming his ability to rule and to reign as he fulfills Isaiah prophecy. Not only a confirmation of his rule, but a demonstration of his character. It says in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, says he cometh, uh, behold thy king cometh, he is just. His character is, is, he is just. You know, Jesus was in all points tempted yet without sin. Uh, every, every question that was presented to him, Jesus would answer in a just way. Uh, every uh, relationship that he had and every uh, person he came in contact with, his response to them was always just and it was always right. And so the character of the one who would be the fulfilling one of the prophecies to Israel would be one who was just. Not only is there a confirmation of his rule, demonstration of his character, but there's illumination of his offer. He says he would come having salvation. You know, Jesus' name is Jesus because of the fact he shall save his people from their sins. And so there's illumination of his offer, the offer that God made to man when Jesus came into Jerusalem was that he would save them if they would believe. The offer that God has to mankind today is still that he would save men if they will turn to Jesus Christ and trust in his sacrifice. God is not willing that any should be, uh, be perish, but rather he wants all men to be saved. And because of that, Jesus Christ came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to present fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah. So there's illumination of his offer. Notice the humiliation of his ministry. Now these are all introductory thoughts, so we'll get to the main message in a minute. Humiliation of his ministry. Notice it says in verse 9, he is just having salvation lowly. Humiliation. Lowly, he came in with a humble spirit. He presented himself as a humble offering. Uh, he presented that the way that man is going to be saved uh, in front of a holy God is he must humble himself and come to the, through the way of the cross in order to be delivered. You can't be boastful. You can't be prideful. Uh, you can't walk around uh, creating your own means of salvation. Uh, Jesus came with the lowliest state so that he might be able to demonstrate what humility is. So humiliation of his ministry. So we see the praise. We see the prophecy. But in verse 16 through 19, we see the people. You know, ministry is about people. Christ coming into this world is about people. And in verse 16, notice how uh, they were slow to understand. It says, And these things understood not his disciples at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. Slow to understand. The disciples have been with Christ for three years. The disciples had witnessed the teaching of Christ over and over again. They have seen the power of Christ to work miracles that testified of his deity, but they still, at this hour, when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, they still are not comprehending what it is that he's about ready to do. And I'm afraid oftentimes 
we might be able to read the scriptures and we might have someone teach us the word of God, but sometimes we're just slow to grasping and understanding the reality of what the sacrifice of Christ means to us. I, 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 I stand amazed that people claim to be saved and claim to acknowledge that Christ died on the cross, but they won't surrender a life to Christ. They won't live for Christ. Why is that? You've got a low ability to understand the reality of what Christ suffered for you on Calvary. They were slow to understanding. Notice they testify of a miracle. In verse 17, it says, The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him up from the dead, bare record. There were those who testified of the miracles that Jesus would perform. There were those who witnessed the fact that Jesus gave the blind sight. There were those that saw a great demonstration of power and forgiveness when the paraplegic was healed by Jesus Christ. These people, as they Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on the day of uh, Palm Sunday, not only were there those that were slow to understand, but there were those who were testifying that this man did great miracles. And what a blessing it is to be able to have people that can testify the miracles that God does in our lives. And so they testify of a miracle. Notice they were shallow in their focus. Shallow in their focus in verse 18. For this cause the people also met him, for that they had heard that he had done this miracle. <laughs> so shallow in their focus. Uh, they're coming to see Christ because only because they heard about the miracles that he had performed. And uh, may I just say this, that our life as a Christian, our, a life that follows after Christ, is more than just hearing about miracles that are taking place. And so here's a great uh, testimony that they were miracles that took place, but there were those who came simply because they heard about the miracles. Then, notice, they were aggressive in their actions in verse 19. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. And I'll tell you, the Pharisees will become very aggressive in calling him, condemning him, uh, 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 testifying against him, doing whatever they can, uh, discrediting his testimony and his ministry, and ultimately uh, 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 bringing uh, judgment upon him that he'll be crucified on the cross of Calvary. People that were involved on this day of Palm Sunday. People thronged around Christ. Uh, they're uh, filling the streets up and crowding the streets because they heard of Christ coming. They're wanting to hear his teaching. They're wanting to see his miracles. But they have no idea or any comprehension of why he is there. It is Passover week. And here is the Passover lamb coming into the city to be offered for mankind. These Greeks come. It says in our text, uh, verse 20, I'm sorry. It says, there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. These Greeks are interesting uh, because of the fact they've come to Jerusalem to worship. They've come to Jerusalem because of the Passover. Uh, they possibly, these Greeks that are mentioned here, are Hellenistic Jews. They were Jews who were of the tribes of Israel that were dispersed through the world. 
that literally spoke Greek. And uh, they, it is possible that these are the ones that are here mentioned the Greeks that were among them. But also, it could be just Gentile Greeks that were proselytes to Judaism. And they are coming up to worship in Jerusalem, and here is Jesus Christ. They hear of all that he has done and all that he has experienced, and their desire as they come to Andrew, as they come to Philip, is, Sir, we would see Jesus. You know, God ought to be doing something in our lives, in our church, that creates a curiosity in people to want to come and hear about Jesus Christ. Our lives ought to be a testimony that God is doing something miraculous in our lives that would cause people to call us or meet with us or uh, uh, come to us to speak to us about what is this person doing in your life? Who is this Jesus that has changed your life? And uh, we need to have a life that draws people to Jesus Christ. So these Greeks come and they're at the city of Jerusalem. Now, Let's consider some things here. We would see Jesus. Here we go. Here's the main text. The condition. They were Greeks. It just says here they were Greeks. And the condition was that they came to Jerusalem to worship, but they heard that Jesus was there, and they meet with Philip and desire to see who this Jesus Christ is. So what's their condition? Number one, or letter A, is this simply this. They had religion without a relationship. There are multitudes of people today who have religion, but they have no relationship with God. And these Greeks, they may have been proselytes to Judaism. Well, they'd have a religion, but they certainly don't have a relationship with God. These could actually be Hellenistic Jews that were Jews that were scattered abroad and were brought, they were coming down to Jerusalem. They may be them, but they have a religion, but they have no relationship. And so man's condition is that they, Jesus Christ is the Messiah that has come to Israel. And so they're coming down to see this Jesus. In John chapter 1 and verse 11, it says that Jesus came to his own. Jesus came. He came to Israel. He came to Israel as their king. He's presenting himself to Israel as the Messiah, as the king. Jesus came to his own, but his own received him not. When he came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he's coming as the king of Israel, but Israel is rejecting their king. He came to his own, but his own received him not. And then in verse 12 it says, But as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Israel had a religion, but they needed to develop a relationship. Jesus Christ came to his own to develop a relationship with them. And they rejected their Messiah. So the Messiah was come to Israel. The message of deliverance that was being presented on this Palm Sunday was to Israel. It was held by Israel. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, What advantage then hath the Jew? 
Well, soul winning yesterday, and I didn't realize everything's changing demographically in our area, and didn't realize I sent folks out in some areas that were completely Jewish, amen, right, into, right up in front of their synagogues, amen. <laughs> the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, amen. So, a lot of Jews got our literature on their doors yesterday, amen. <laughs> what, what advantage does the Jew have? Paul says, let's assess and evaluate. What is their advantage? And he tells us in uh, verse 1, what advantage then hath the Jews or what profit is there of the circumcision? And he says this, much every way, chiefly, here's the primary advantage, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now listen, Israel certainly could comprehend and understand that when Jesus came in on Palm Sunday that he was the king that's being presented to Israel because of the fulfillment of the prophecies of Zechariah of how he presented himself. And that, listen, his presentation of himself was not him. It was public for everyone to see. And Israel had an advantage over the Greeks because Israel had the oracles or the scriptures, the testimony of the word of God. And the Greeks did not have that. So here's these Greeks coming. They said, we would see Jesus. And they had a religion, but they had, it was without a relationship. What does religion do to us? Religion tells us what we must do. And the apostle Paul speaks about what his life was without Christ. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Why? Because he was of the most strict, straightest sect of the Pharisees. So what does that mean? It means that he had a religion because he understood exactly what he was supposed to do. And religion puts a bunch of do's and don'ts and requirements upon you to try to make you justify yourself in the presence of God or the presence of whatever the religion may be. So religion tells you what to do. However, a relation tells you who you are. We need to get out of religion and stop worrying about what we do and start living in reality of who we are. We are a child of the king. We've been born again by the grace of God and God has given us everlasting life. We do not live based on religion. We live based on a relationship. Sirs, we would see Jesus. Religion is cold and calculated. It just, just lays it out. A, B, C, D. One, two, three, four. Just lays it out. Doesn't take in consideration what you're experiencing doesn't take in consideration what you're feeling, doesn't take in consideration your emotions. It just is very cold, very calculated in its instruction. However, a relationship is warm and intimate. And I'm thankful for the heat of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm thankful for the person of Christ living in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. I'm thankful that I can have an intimate relationship with a living God. And it's because Jesus Christ came into uh, uh, Jerusalem to offer himself up as a sacrifice, not to provide more religion, but to be able to offer relationship with the God of heaven. 
And so their condition, these Greeks, they had religion without a relationship. They had worship without acceptance. Worship without acceptance. What do I mean that by that? I mean this. They were Gentiles. So as Gentiles, they could certainly come down to Jerusalem. But the reality is, as a Gentile, they could not enter into the temple. See, they had uh, worship, but they weren't accepted. And the sad thing is, is oftentimes in our churches, we'll talk about worship, but not willing to accept people. We'll talk about worship, but we're not willing to acknowledge that it's the relationship that we have with Christ that enables us to be accepted within the body of Christ. So they had worship. They came to Jerusalem to worship. But they wanted to see Jesus Christ. They understood there was something lacking. There was something missing. And for 27 years in my life, I went to church. I worshiped. But there was something missing. There was something lacking. There was a void. There was an emptiness. Why? Because I had worship without acceptance. That's why. I think of not just the Gentiles, but I think of Cornelius. Cornelius had practice without a Savior. In Acts chapter 10, we read about the life of Cornelius. We read about Peter going down to Cornelius' house. In Acts chapter 10, I want to read just the testimony of Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Now listen to this man, a devout man, one that feared God with all of his house. You know, you go out so when you talk to a lot of people, there's a lot of people who say, well, I go to church. I worship God. The problem is what they're testifying to is what Cornelius was. And so he says he, he, worshiped, he feared God. It says, and gave much alms to people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thy alms are come up for a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Now here is Cornelius. He was a good man, just man, took care of his family, provided for his home, gave alms to people. He was willing to help out others who were in need. He was a man who prayed, but God came upon him and revealed to him that he was a man who had worship, but without acceptance. He said, you need to get a hold of Peter. Peter will tell you what you need to do. You read on through chapter 10 of Acts and Peter, he sends men down. Peter is revealed to Peter in a vision that he is to go to the house of a Gentile. Peter, a Jew, is going to go into the house of a Gentile. Unheard of. And Peter goes into the house of Cornelius and he presents to them Jesus Christ. And his whole household gets saved. Now listen to me this morning. 
There are people all around this church, all around your neighborhood, who are worshiping, but they're not accepted of God because they don't have a personal relationship. They have religion. And somebody's got to tell them that they can see Jesus for really who he is. So Gentiles, I thought as Cornelius, worship without acceptance. And I thought as a Christian, we are accepted. Hallelujah. You know, when you put your faith in Christ, uh, you're accepted. Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter 1. You're accepted in the beloved. You're not accepted because you're a Baptist. You're accepted because of who Christ is. In Ephesians chapter, where am I at here? Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And see, so all, if all we have is religion, then we're worshiping without acceptance. We must enter into the realm of a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. And now our worship changes because it's based on being a part of the family of God. We're adopted into the family of God because of a relationship. So they had religion without a relationship. They had worship without acceptance. And they had faith without salvation. He said it doesn't make any sense. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, there's a lot of people have faith. There's have people. There's people today. I'm going to tell you, they'll knock down, knock you down, and fight you all the way in their faith of global warming. I'm serious. There are people who believe in evolution, and let me tell you something. It takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in creation. But I'm going to tell you one thing right now. People who are diehard evolutionists have faith in what they believe, and they're not going to turn their back on it. But do they have salvation? No. You're saying evolutionists are lost? I don't know what their relationship with Christ. If they have not received Christ, I don't care how strong their faith is in evolution, how strong their faith is in politics, how strong their faith is in uh, global warming, all that faith that they have in those areas mean nothing for salvation because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. No wonder when they came on Palm Sunday to Philip, they said, sirs, we would see Jesus. Well, number two, notice the cooperation in this chapter. In uh, verse 22, it says, Philip cometh to tell, uh, cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Cooperation. You know, the Greeks came to Philip. And Philip went to Andrew. And then Philip and Andrew went to Jesus. That's cooperation. And God can do some miraculous things if the people of God will cooperate. Notice people come to people that are reaching out. The disciples travel with Jesus. The disciples were sent out by Jesus to preach the gospel. Uh, and over and over again, wherever Jesus was, the disciples were there to minister and reach out to others. And so it was a natural thing for the Greeks to come to Philip and say, 
hey, we want to see Jesus. And right away, Philip gets some help. Hey, we need to take these people to Jesus. And they bring those people to Jesus. You know, Andrew, according to John chapter 1, in verse 40 and 41, it says, Andrew first findeth his own brother, Simon. And what did he do with him? He brought him to Jesus. You know, the first thing you ought to do in your life is get your family saved. The first thing you ought to do is you ought to be reaching out to others to get them saved. You know, it's interesting that it was Andrew and it was Philip in John chapter 6 that uh, brought the lad to Jesus Christ. And so Philip and Andrew were always, you read through John, you read through uh, Luke, you read through the book of Acts, you read over and over again that these men were constantly cooperating with one another, bringing people to Jesus Christ. You know, one one person's not going to be able to get a multitude saved. But if we get two or three or five or six or 10 or 20, we can get people saved. We can impact our community. I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to take a long time for just the pastoral staff and a couple other people to go out soul winning to be able to reach Ocean County. It's going to take, I've been here for 23 years, 23 years, and we have not even scratched the surface of the people that are in Ocean County that need to be saved. There needs to be cooperation to help people find Jesus Christ. That means we have to go out in the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. You certainly can give two hours a week. You certainly could do two hours of visiting. Doesn't have to be on a Saturday. It could be on a Monday or Tuesday afternoon. You certainly could go to your neighborhood and talk to them about Christ. You know, these people wanted to see Christ. They needed somebody to bring them to Christ. And I believe there's multitudes of people who want to find Christ, but they need somebody to bring them to Christ. So the people came, people come to people that are reaching out. Letter B is simply this. People are led as God's people work together. And that was the desire of Christ. Over and over again, Jesus would mention the fact that we are to be working as one to bring people to him. And, uh, you know, if people will respond to people that are willing to reach out, then it's a natural thing that if we have a multitude of people reaching out, then certainly uh, we can bring a multitude to the Lord. So the desire of Christ is that people will be saved and people will be brought to him. The instruction of the Apostle Paul, he said, let this mind be in you which also is in Christ Jesus. So this matter of cooperating one with another is that we gain the mind of Christ. The Son of Man came in this world for what? To seek and to save that which is lost. He died on Calvary on the week of uh, Passover. Why? That he might be able to seek and to save that which is lost. And so the cooperation is God's people connecting together as a mighty force and going out and witnessing to people and bringing them to faith in Christ. I'll guarantee the Mormons are out on the street. I'll guarantee the Jehovah Witnesses are out on the street. Where's the Christians out on the street? I remember years ago, a fellow was a Jehovah Witness. I was trying to witness to him. He was trying to get me to convert, be a Jehovah Witness. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, you're a Baptist and you go door to door? 
I said, yeah, and he said this to me, and it broke my heart. He said, you know, in my whole life, I've never had one Baptist knock on my door and share with me what they say they believe. Not one. And that convicted me. I, I'm six, going to be 67 years old. I don't know. I've never, I don't think we've never had. We haven't had anybody knock on our doors for a Baptist. 67 years. 67 years. And not one Christian has ever knocked on my door to try to lead me to Christ. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. Jesus came in to present himself as a lamb of God to be slain for the sins of man. And people that desired to see Christ needed somebody to bring them to Christ. Well, here's the last point. The last point is Christ himself. Notice he reveals the time of acceptance. In verse 23, Jesus said, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And there is an hour of acceptance. When Jesus died on the cross, he opened away the doors, if you will, for all men to be saved if they will trust him. There is a time of acceptance. What's the time when you got accepted? When did you get saved? Can you testify, this is the time when I got saved, and this is what I did to got saved. I turned to Jesus Christ. Can you testify of that? Today is the accepted time. You're not sure you're saved. Today is the day of salvation. You need to come to Christ. So he reveals the time of acceptance. He reveals the purpose of acceptance in verse 23, that the Son of Man should be glorified. You know, there is nothing about glorifying mankind or any religion when we talk about salvation. It is talking, if somebody gets saved, there's one that receives the glory, and that's Jesus Christ himself. Because you and I can't save somebody. All we do is invite them to see Jesus Christ. And then he does the saving. And when a person gets saved, he is glorified. And that's what God's all about. And then he reveals the means of acceptance in verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall in the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He said, this is the means. This is the way that you're accepted if somebody had to die. And Jesus Christ has laid down his life for you and me. And so we can be saved because of the fact that Christ died for multitudes to believe and to be saved. These, these Greeks came and they said, we would see Jesus. The condition of people is that they need to see Jesus Christ. That's the condition. The cooperation of the Christian will help them to see who Christ is. And certainly the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, is the answer for their troubled soul. It's not anything else. It's Christ and Christ alone. Let's bow for prayer. My Father, I come to you. I thank you so much, Lord, for new life that we can have in Christ. I'm thankful that these Greeks came through the crowds through the throngs of people, and came to Philip desiring to see Jesus Christ. And Lord, when they met the Lord, they never have been the same. Their lives were radically changed. And I'm thankful that time and time again we can read examples of people turning to Christ and their life is changed. We're thankful, Lord, we could have testimonies here in this place this morning and knowing that 
wait a minute, God, when you saved us, you did a miraculous work. And we've never been the same. Lord, I pray that each and every day it'll be our desire to see you in a greater way. I pray, Lord, you'd give us many opportunities to be able to show others the way to Christ. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's